0: Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the National Secular Society podcast hosted by Emma Park. Marriage is a rite of passage, social, spiritual and legal, that for millennia has been a fundamental part of societies around the world. In England, Ever since Henry VIII broke with the Catholic Church in the 16th century over his desire to get divorced, and invented the Church of England to help him, the legal process of getting married has been closely intertwined with the religious ceremony run by the C of E. A diverse range of exemptions has gradually been carved out for Catholics, Jews, Quakers, Muslims and other religious groups. The system of registry offices, which would allow for civil, non-religious marriages, was introduced in 1837. Today, marriage law in England and Wales is a maze of rules and exemptions, the application of which depends on the religious affiliations, or lack thereof, of the participants. Same-sex marriage was not even introduced in England and Wales until 2014, under the coalition government, and it is still almost exclusively only permitted in civil, non-religious venues. And as a recent case in the High Court demonstrated, marriage ceremonies conducted by humanist celebrants are not legally binding at all. So what is the best solution to this unsatisfactory, old-fashioned, and typically English for of compromises? To answer this question, I'm now joined by two members of the team at the National Secular Society, Stephen Evans, the CEO, and Megan Manson, Head of Policy and Research. So firstly, what are the current laws on marriage in England and Wales? Megan?
1: Well, they're pretty complex. The law has been developed in a piecemeal way, which now means that we've ended up essentially with five different marriage laws, depending on whether the wedding is a Church of England wedding, a Jewish wedding, a Quaker wedding, any other type of religious wedding or a civil marriage. So different laws apply depending on the, essentially the religious ethos or be it no religious ethos at all of the wedding itself. And then the other strange quirk about the law in England and Wales is that it's all based on the building where the wedding takes place. So if you want your wedding to be legal, it has to take place in a particular building unless it's a Jewish or a Quaker wedding, which can take place anywhere.
0: And Stephen, um, what what are the NSS's main objections to these current laws? I mean, obviously they're extremely complicated, but are there are any more specific objections.
2: Well, that that's it. As Megan's just explained, because of the way the laws developed over time, we have an overly complex maze of different rules for different types of ceremonies. Both the church and the state have actually played key roles at different times in the history and the evolution of the institution of marriage. And so all this all the time you've got these parallel strands going on of the secular and the religious side of marriage, and that clearly hasn't gone away. So at the moment, there are two routes to marriage, religious and civil. So religion and state are very much entwined in our marriage laws. And I think that's said to quite an unnecessary, uh, complex and restrictive system that's also unfair. Uh, the law, as things stand, um, it, it leads to unequal treatment of people, depending on their religious outlook or beliefs. Um, the recent High Court case, brought by six humanist couples, actually recognised, the court recognised the discriminatory nature of the law in terms of humanist weddings not being permitted. So as, as Megan touched upon, under the current laws, religious marriages have to be held in a registered place of worship, civil marriages must take place in approved premises only, so couples can't hold their weddings at home or outdoors. As Megan said, exceptions exist for Jewish and Quaker marriages which can take place anywhere, but humanists don't have their ceremonies legally recognized uh, and religious content is banned from civil ceremonies, which means that inter-religious ceremonies aren't really catered for and, and couples just don't have the freedom they may want. So really the whole thing's a bit of a mess.
0: Sure, I mean, it seems very unfair to people who don't have a religious affiliation in particular.
2: Yeah, and on top of that, the complexity of the legal status of religious weddings has also contributed to arising couples who have religious marriages, uh, which they may believe to be legally binding, like an Anglican wedding would be, but in fact aren't legally binding. And this is a particular problem amongst some Muslim communities, where many marriages have absolutely no legal basis, which can leave women vulnerable. And I'm sure we'll drill down into that later. So basically, there is a need to secularise and simplify Uh, the archaic laws that we have which really aren't fit for purpose and as the law commission have rightly pointed out in in the in the last two centuries england and wales has experienced really profound social changes we've become far more culturally and religiously diverse we're far more secular and liberal in our outlook and people want to celebrate their weddings in varied and unique ways and the law as it stands at the moment doesn't allow for it Much of our existing wedding law dates back to 1836, and I think it's fair to say that what may have worked in the 18th and 19th centuries doesn't work now. So reforms really are quite urgently needed.
0: Okay, so that's England and Wales specifically. How how does that compare with the law in Scotland at the moment?
1: So the the law in Scotland is a bit better um, in the Scottish system, even though you don't quite have separation of church and state, and there are some differences between religious and non-religious marriages, because they're not tied to a building that does give it a much more level playing field for people. So instead of having the building be what makes a a marriage legal or not, it's the person who officiates it that does. And because of this, it does um, lead to a little bit more flexibility and equality for all. So this is the sort of model that um, I think we would be looking at.
0: Okay, um, Stephen, the Law Commission you mentioned has become involved with with the issue of sorting out weddings in England and Wales. What are its current proposals and how far does the NSS support them?
2: Well, in fact, the government asked the Law Commission to conduct a review of the law around marriage back in 2014. Originally, the Law Commission's scope in paper then identified serious problems, uh, highlighting, as I've said earlier, that the law has really failed to keep pace with modern Britain. But in 2017, the government said it wasn't the right time to review marriage law. But by 2018, it's changed its mind again um, and asked the Law Commission to conduct a review. And that's where we are now. Uh, That work began last year. And what we now have from the Law Commission is a set of initial proposals that are very much in line with what we've been suggesting throughout the process. So I think most importantly, The commission is proposing a move towards an officiant or celebrant based system rather than a building based system so very similar to uh, the system that operates currently in Scotland so that means that the focus of the regulation would be on the officiant rather than the building so a valid marriage would simply be one where it takes place in the presence of one authorized officiant Uh, so this would mean couples will be able to marry outdoors Uh, on a beach, on the side of a mountain, in the woods, on a cruise ship, or even in their own homes. So this means wedding ceremonies in all religions uh, would more easily be legally recognized under these proposals.
0: And would that also apply to non-religious weddings as well?
2: Yes, absolutely. It, It certainly could do, because what I really like about these proposals is that they would see universal legal rules introduced for all weddings so the same rules would apply to everyone so you know the principle of one law for all is a really important principle from a secularist perspective um, but at the moment different rules apply to different weddings, Jewish and Quaker weddings, other religious weddings, civil weddings uh, and these proposals would largely sort that out so it's it's quite a permissive framework that could allow for non-religious belief organizations. Uh, and independent celebrants to conduct legally binding weddings. Couples would be able to choose the content of their ceremonies, so the requirement that some ceremonies include prescribed words would be abolished. The officiant's job would primarily be to satisfy themselves that both parties entering into the marriage are doing so with free and full consent. And at the moment, religious content is banned from civil ceremonies, but under these proposals, Couples would be able to have religious songs, readings and hymns as part of their civil weddings, uh, provided that the ceremony is still identifiable as a civil ceremony. Uh, So this facilitates interfaith marriages, which really, as I said, aren't really catered for under the existing law. The commission is also consulting on introducing universal civil preliminaries. So that includes a proposal to abolish the legal effects of Anglican preliminaries. So, this just means that all couples follow the same simple process to give notice of their intention to marry. The Commission made it really clear from the outset of this uh, exercise that they wouldn't be considering recommending uh, universal civil marriage, which would be possibly the simplest thing to do in many ways. Um, couples get a civil marriage and then go off and have whatever ceremony they want to celebrate. Um, this is the way they do it in France. but. In the UK, I think that would mean reducing choice and it would be a much harder sell. But having said that, I do think there's a lot of really good, sensible stuff in these proposals that makes the law or would make the law fairer and simpler. And for me, I see this as a real campaigning uh, success for secularism and the NSS.
0: That's really positive, Stephen. Um, But talking about um, one of the specific problems that the current system allows, Megan, um, one of the areas that's your speciality is is the problems which Muslim women currently may face if they enter um, these unregistered Islamic marriages um, called nikah. What what are the main problems with this type of religious marriage at the moment?
1: Well, the main problem is that if a marriage is unregistered and it's not recognized in law, then if, it, um, if the marriage sort of fails and uh, the couple want to, in quotes, divorce, then uh, there's no access to shared assets. So it's the case that the very often it's the wife doesn't really have that protection if the marriage, the union does end. Many of these women don't realize That the marriage is not legally recognised in in UK law. That could be because um, of a lack of English language skills. It could be because they've been in quite uh, an insular environment. But that's not always the case. Some instances said that between 60 to 80% of Islamic marriages are unregistered. So this does seem to be quite a big problem. Another issue is regarding the Sharia councils that oversee these types of unions. They tend to be quite sexist. So they tend to take the man's side when it comes to mediating disputes.
0: Are the Sharia councils composed solely of men?
1: Yes. And they frequently don't take the woman's complaint of domestic violence or marital rape seriously. And another point to make is that it's much harder for women to get an Islamic divorce than it is for a man. It's a really simple matter for a man, but for a woman, they have to have quite a long process and it is very difficult. So they are unbalanced. So, I mean,
0: in that case, um, Muslim women could potentially be um, exposed to um, exploitation or even possibly destitution if they get involved solely in an unregistered marriage. That's right. In that case, what what are the main solutions that have been proposed so far to this particular issue?
1: Well, one of the uh, solutions that has been proposed is to give Muslim marriages the same legal recognition as Jewish and Quaker marriages. Now, clearly, that's one that we would not support. This is quite. This would be quite an anti secularist stance to say that the law would recognise yet another religious marriage, and also it, could, it still wouldn't end the problem of exploitation. I think there would still be that would still be an issue. It would also be quite politically unpalatable. We know that in previous, in recent cases where judges have been asked to rule on unregistered Islamic unions. That uh, the government has taken the view that they should not be in any way regarded as a legal marriage. So we think so that's just not going to happen. Another proposal that has been relatively popular with some feminist groups um, and uh, supported by Civitas as well is to make unregistered religious marriages illegal. say you were going to have a, a religious marriage, it would have to be registered beforehand as a civil marriage. Now we see some problems with this. So, for one thing, we think it would be quite a draconian course of action to take because it would be it would essentially be the law saying what religious groups can and cannot do. Um, and you know, as secularists, we're quite wary of any time where the state um, intervenes on uh, religious practices. If they're causing clear harm, then we're you know we're more uh, inclined to support that. But in the case of a, a unregistered religious marriage, it doesn't necessarily cause harm. So, for example, there are other religious groups that might choose to have a marriage and not have a, a, a legal civil marriage along with that. Um, pagans are one group and indeed humanists are another group. They might have a, a union ceremony of some sort that could be regarded as religious or analogous to religion. And even though such, there's been no evidence that such unions have caused the same problems that um, Muslim nikah have, they could be captured by this law. Uh, the other alternative would be to just single out Muslim marriages. But that would come with its own problems of why are you singling out this religious group and not others? Uh, what what um, some academics and other professionals working in this field have said is to simplify the law. So they've looked at uh, at, the, at why Muslims are not registering their marriages. And they've, they've looked at the reasons why. One is that uh, Muslims aren't particularly tied on the idea of buildings being important. So they, you know, they want to have nikah wherever they like. So you don't necessarily want to have it in a mosque that's registered for marriage. And the other thing is that marriage law is very complex. So the solution has been, well, why not offer a simplified form of marriage that you can easily get together with a religious marriage? And and funnily enough, that's kind of come to the same conclusion that we have, which is just to simplify marriage laws and make it easier for everyone, regardless of religion or belief, to get married. And, of course, around that, I think we do need better education on marriage. I think there is um, widespread misunderstandings about marriage. Um, It's still the case that many people from all communities think that cohabitation results in a common law marriage. That's completely not true. Cohabitation does not um, entitle you to any protections um, that marriage does. Another strategy we would employ would be to tackle uh, the Sharia councils as well. Many of these Sharia councils operate as part of a registered charity, But it's quite clear that they don't uh, follow the Equality Act because they're not treating women fairly. So one solution could either be to make these Sharia councils make sure that they do follow the Equality Act. Another possible path to look down is to whether um, Sharia councils should be registered charities at all. And of course, if you're a registered charity, you get lots of tax benefits. Registered charities should be providing a public benefit. And we would argue that Sharia councils don't necessarily do that because they make these decisions when it comes to exam unions that are unfair to women, and they create a parallel
0: legal system that could potentially undermine the law of the land. Now, Stephen, you briefly touched on humanist marriages before, and the legal recognition of humanist marriages is something which many of our listeners are likely to be concerned with. What is the NSS's position on, on humanist marriages, and what would be the impact of the Law Commission's proposals?
2: Well, at the moment, humanist marriages kind of fall between two categories of the weddings that we have in law, so religious ceremonies and civil ceremonies, they kind of fall between those two stools. Uh, So you can have a humanist wedding ceremony if you want, but that won't be recognised in law. And I think it is reasonable to allow couples to have the chance um, to have the sort of marriage they want recognised by law. And these proposals would certainly facilitate humanist ceremonies being recognised. Of course, humanists have been seeking legal recognition of their marriages most recently, uh, as you mentioned, through a high court challenge, but also a private member's bill. And as I understand it, the, the route they've been seeking to go down is to achieve a sort of similar legal position for humanists as currently exists for Jews and Quakers. But for me, uh, legal recognition would be best achieved as part of a, a wider modernisation of marriage laws that ensures that all couples... Uh, have the same freedom to marry how they choose, rather than just uh, extending privileges enjoyed by Quakers and Jews to humanists, I think we should make sure that we all have the freedom and choice, irrespective of our beliefs. The problem with this is how long it all takes, of course. Um, I'm sure Humanist UK would prefer humanist weddings to be given legal recognition right now. Goodness me, they've been waiting long enough. But I do think the Law Commission's proposals are the more secular route to go down. I think they're the fairest route to go down, fairest for everyone. But certainly non-religious belief organisations like Humanist UK and indeed independent celebrants should absolutely be able to perform legally binding weddings. And I think the Law Commission's proposals do allow for that. And I think the government would be very sympathetic to that.
0: So, Megan, um, what what has the NSS been doing to change the laws in England and Wales? Have you been specifically working with the Law Commission?
1: Well, we have been calling for marriage reform for um, quite a long time. We've always wanted to make marriage law more secular and separate religion and state in that institution. But um, a few years ago, we did a bit of research into the venues where you can get married And we found that um, there was a big imbalance there because in our research we found that there were over 39,700 places of worship registered for marriage, but compared to that, there were only 7,400 civil wedding venues. So that's a very big imbalance when you consider that religious marriages is in decline. It's just been falling year upon year. Uh, Religious marriages are just not as popular as civil marriages, it seems. And then we looked into the process, we tried to figure out, well, why is it that there are so many places of worship registered marriage and not civil wedding venues? And it turns out that um, religious wedding venues, it looks like it's cheaper to register your, your place of worship for marriage. Whereas for civil marriage uh, venues, um, it's quite a lot more expensive and you you have to renew that license, which can be close to a £1,000 every three years. So that makes it a lot more expensive to register a civil premises for marriage. One thing I would add is that this in turn has an effect on same-sex marriages and makes it more unfair for same-sex couples because whilst all the civil wedding venues have to, by law, host same-sex marriages, places of worship don't have to. They can can register to only have opposite-sex marriages. And we found that there were less than 1% of places of worship who were actually registered for same-sex marriage. So again, there's a massive imbalance here. That's when we sort of started figuring out that it was the law emphasising the role of buildings in uh, marriages was part of the problem. And that's when we started sort of coming up with this idea of having a more simplified marriage that didn't depend on buildings, and that would in turn lead to a more secularist solution. And we have been engaging with the Law Commission for some time on this. Um, We've been sort of saying, well, marriage law needs to be simplified. We need to try and have one marriage law for all. We need to take off the emphasis of the buildings. And we also, for civil weddings, it's just not fair that you can't have any religious content in there at all. So That means that um, you can't have um, sort of a a wedding where one person's religious and the other isn't or a wedding where you might just want a prayer in there because you happen to like the
0: prayer. Yeah, actually, that happened to me. Um, I had a a secular wedding and um, I would have quite liked to have a hymn or two, but no, absolutely not allowed. Yeah, that's right. Same thing happened to my sister
1: as well. She's not religious at all, but she couldn't have um, a particular prayer that she wanted because it was a nice prayer um, for the same reason. So we put all of those suggestions before the Law Commission. And um, yes, um, even though the consultation that they've just released is very long and detailed, um, so we'll be looking through that fine detail um, as we come up with our response to that consultation. But at the moment, it does look very much like they have responded to lots of things we've said, and they've come up with quite a good uh, proposal. I think that would tick a lot of the boxes for making this for making marriage law more secular, fairer, and just better for everyone.
0: And, and more reflective of today's society. Yes, definitely. So, Stephen, looking ahead, what are the next steps in the NSS's campaign? Do you think we may see the changes you would like to see to the marriage laws under the present government?
2: Well, I'm a born optimist, kind of have to be to do my job. Um, we'll be meeting with the Law Commission again shortly uh, to offer our feedback on the proposals. But these are just interim proposals for now. The final recommendations will only be made after consultation. And if we still get the recommendations we like uh, when they're in their final form, we'll certainly be lobbying the government to legislate. And I do think the government needs to get on with this. The law is out of date, it's unfit for purpose. It was the government itself that asked the Law Commission uh, to look into reforming the law. So clearly the government does recognize that a change is necessary. And I think it is minded to make the changes. And I think the changes would be very popular. I think some Christian groups, Maybe a little bit unhappy with them, the way they see the institution of marriage as they see it uh, changing. But nevertheless, I think the proposals will be hugely popular with the rest of the public. And I think they could realistically be passed. So, yeah, I'm quite optimistic. And I would certainly urge everyone listening to read through the proposals and respond positively to the consultation.
0: This episode was produced by the National Secular Society, all rights reserved. The views expressed by contributors do not necessarily represent those of the NSS. You can access the show notes and subscriber information for this and all our episodes at secularism.org.uk forward slash podcast. For feedback, comments and suggestions, please email podcast at secularism.org.uk. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a positive review wherever you can. Thanks for listening and I hope you can join us next time.